Um, I started a message last week, I said it would be a two-parter, um, on about who is the real Jesus, about who is the real Jesus. So there's some more that I want to share, uh, want to share this morning um, off the back of that. So we started by looking at Matthew 16, verses 13 to 17, when this is, this is what happens. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in Heaven. So you get this really interesting interaction where Jesus challenges his disciples about who do you say that I am? And you know, and, and, this, and this question is just as relevant 2,000 years later as it was when Jesus said it. So in our society, it's still a massive question, is, is who is Jesus? What's, 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 it all, what's it all about? Who is this guy? That, he's got billions of followers, far more influential. I think a lot of historians would say he's been more influential than any other, any other human being except that reality because he's got billions of followers. There's nobody else. He's got billions of followers 2,000 years after they were on the, on the earth. But who is this Jesus? And in our society, you can find lots of different views you know, on, on, on who Jesus was. And, you know, he's just kind of a good guy or maybe he, I don't know, he was a lunatic or he was like running some sort of cult or, or you know, different, different views about who Jesus was you know but as christians we need to have the right view of who jesus is because i think even as even as christians sometimes we can uh, get sidetracked and or, or maybe kind of just bring our own kind of opinions into the situation and, and we don't necessarily have a clear view of who jesus is so there's one thing the world having the right opinion absolutely and we've got an opportunity to talk to people about that as i said last week's a great we, we talk a lot at church about soul winning it's a great conversation starter if you know where to start with with non-christians just ask them about jesus what do you think about jesus I'm sure they'll have an opinion, even if it's maybe completely opposite to what you know the reality is, but they'll have an opinion. So it's a great, it's a great place to start a conversation. But what about us as Christians? We need to have the correct view of Jesus. And do we always have the correct view? Do, as Christians, do we ever try and put Jesus in a box, kind of like our preformed opinion? Well, this is the Jesus that I'm comfortable with, so this is what I think Jesus is to me. Have, have we even created our own version of Jesus? I'm serious. Have we created our own version of Jesus? And we have to be so careful that we don't, we don't ever do that. That the Jesus that, that we know and love is, is a Jesus of the Bible. Amen? He's not some kind of like westernized, uh, you know, westernized version. I talked about last week. He's often seen those old kind, of, old kind of movies about Jesus where he's, I don't know, he looks like he was born in California and he's got blonde hair and blue eyes, even though no one in Israel has blonde hair and blue eyes, or pretty much nobody. And, and it kind of like missing, missing the heart of who Jesus actually was. Amen? You know, I said this last week, but I've got to say, just to kind of give a brief summary of last week, you know, Jesus was not in any way Western in his thinking. Is that true? Yeah? He was not, Jesus was not Western in his thinking. Jesus was not British. Jesus was not American. Right? Jesus was not, and when it comes to politics, Jesus was not conservative. He wasn't Republican. Jesus wasn't a socialist, and he wasn't a Democrat. Jesus, not, in fact, was not a political in any way, shape, or form. He wasn't preaching politics. He was preaching about the, about the kingdom of God and what it looked like. Amen? Jesus was not in any way swayed by public opinion. Of course he wanted people to follow him, but he wasn't, he, he, it didn't you know, stick to him whether, people, whether you know, people had the right opinion of him or not. He wasn't going to be swayed by that. He knew he was totally secure in who he was. Jesus wasn't prepared to fit anyone's preconceptions of who he should be. 
the religious leaders had all these preconceptions of what the Messiah should look like, and they thought they were going to Jesus or the Messiah was going to set them free from the Roman Empire. When then, when Jesus didn't do that, we're like baffled. Well, oh, this is not what we thought the Messiah was going to do. So Jesus wasn't prepared to fit anyone's any preconceptions of who he should be, and Jesus wasn't prepared to fit anyone's misconceptions of who he was either. Because even when he did start doing stuff in his ministry, still a whole load of people got confused about who he was and didn't understand what he did. It says over and over again in Scripture, the people were completely amazed by his answers. They didn't understand the authority. They kept saying this over and over again. They're like, no one's ever spoken like this before. Who, who, is, who is this guy? He speaks with authority that none of the other rabbis speak with. So we have to be so careful not to put Jesus in a box. Amen? Amen. That have we got the correct view of Jesus? And this is just my, I'm not in any way judging in any way, this is just my observation, I mentioned this last week, this is my observation of being a pastor for uh, the last 11 years and just a Christian for a long, long time, that sometimes Christians can go to one, ex- one or other extreme of who Jesus was. And we have to be so, so careful, again, this is where we must base who Jesus is on the Bible. Is he the true, real, biblical Jesus? Not our kind of, our notion, not what, not makes, what makes us comfortable, not what makes the world comfortable, about who Jesus actually was. And, and these are the two extremes I've observed. I'm sure there's nobody here <laughs> these extremes. I'm sure. But these are two extremes that I've observed. One has a very judgmental and legalistic view of who Jesus was. And, and, and sometimes that outworks in their Christianity. It's judgment, 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 judgment. And, and they only focus on Jesus is teaching things like the sheep and the goats when he talks about the sheep and the goats being separated. And Jesus did say that. Of course he did. We can't we ignore the stuff that's tough. Because we don't... But they only focus on that stuff. Like condemn, 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 condemn. And judge, 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 judge. Right? Anyone met any Christians like that? Don't, don't think about anybody. <laughs> well, I said that. And, and I've observed this, and sometimes, especially you know, with the way the internet is these days, and, and, and YouTube, and everyone's got an opinion on everything these days. Some of, some of the Christian videos you see on YouTube, and it's so judgmental and legalistic. It's like, I genuinely, as a pastor, I res- my response is, do they even want people to be saved? Well, I think they'd almost celebrate if they went to hell. You know what I mean? This is like this is crazy. This is, this is not Christianity. This is not this is not why Jesus came, right? Everyone agree? Right, so there, there can sometimes be that kind of real extreme, and then there could be and, and kind of in that extreme, there's no kind of concept of love and compassion and justice and mercy and all those things that Jesus talked about. And then there can be kind of the other extreme, which I, has been my observed, where Jesus is like some kind of like. In their minds, I sound like some kind of liberal hippie, I say. And and they only focus on teachers, only focus on Jesus teaching on love and grace. They don't say anything about judgment, anything about heaven or hell, even though Jesus spoke a lot about it. Don't ever talk about any of those realities. They only focus on love and, and grace. And there's no concept of Jesus. Actually, God may want to change us. That maybe maybe we maybe there's stuff in in, in us that God wants to outwork. Maybe the sin in our life that, that, God, that God wants to deal with. So there's no context, concept of us becoming more Christ-like, which obviously Scripture talks a lot about. So there can be like these, just to make sense, there can be like often these like two extreme views of who Jesus is. And what I would say is that there's the truth of who Jesus is, and we're in the middle of those realities. Amen? So it's really important for us to understand who the real Jesus is. Amen? Remember, Jesus is, Jesus is the king. He's the king of kings and the lord of lords. And he's the king of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God and the principles of the kingdom of God, they're, they're in a whole arena of their own. They're far beyond any human ideas or politics or concepts. 
The world does what the world does, and I said this earlier, the world does what the world does, but the kingdom is on a whole different level. The world has ideology, it has a way, a way of doing things, it has political things, people can be you know, left or right or somewhere in the middle, but, but the kingdom of God is something entirely different. Like these principles are way beyond any human con- constructs, what prime ministers will come up with, what presidents will come up with. This is the kingdom of God. Amen? And as I said earlier, we, we live in a kingdom, we understand the reality of a kingdom, we, li- we live in a kingdom, we've got a queen. Yeah, but we're part of a different kingdom. That's actually far more in... in this. I love, love our queen, or respect our queen, <laughs> etc. But we're part of a far more important kingdom. Man, we're a kingdom of the son who loves me, brought out of the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of his son. So it's really important that we have a balanced view of who Jesus is and what he taught. Amen. And we're not made of some preconceived idea or what makes us feel comfortable, what we think is nice. We think, well, if, if Jesus was this, then the world will accept him. We're not trying to do that. We're not trying to make some construct of who Jesus is. It's like, who is the reality of who Jesus is? Amen? And so, so last week, what we talked about is, is all about um, kind of dealing with the issue of people who take kind of a liberal view and uh, just talk about Jesus. All they do is talk about Jesus' love and grace. And we talked about the reality that Jesus wants you to change. Jesus wants us to change. And hopefully that's not a shock to anybody. But that's the reality. Jesus wants me to change. Jesus wants you to change. Unless you can say today, you can categorically say you're exactly like Christ, that Jesus wants you to change. Everyone agree? Because right? he wants to make you more and more Christ-like. So that's what we talked about last week. So now I'm going to kind of like talk about kind of the opposite of that. Remember, we're having a balanced view of, of who Jesus is. Talk about the love and grace and mercy and compassion of Jesus. Amen? I'm going to read from John 3.16 first. What's going on my shirt? Excellent. <laughs> so John, John 3.16, which of course we know so well. But, the, but verse 17, it so often gets forgotten in all this. John 3.16-17 says this, John wrote this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But so often as Christians we can miss verse 17. And this deals with those people who are just obsessed with judgment, 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 judgment. This is what verse 17 says. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Amen? Now, of course, there's a place for conviction of sin, but conviction and condemnation, this is going to be a whole other message in itself, but conviction and condemnation are two very, very different things. Everyone understand that? Reality. Of course, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, and you know when you've done something wrong, you know, you know deep down, you just have that feeling, you know, that's the Holy Spirit convicting you, like, I shouldn't have done that. And you just get this sorted with, sorted with God. Or if you're living a lifestyle that's just not, not right, you know when the Holy Spirit's convicting you. You don't need anybody else to tell you. You know what's going on inside you, right? So, of course, of course the Holy Spirit convicts, but, but not condemns. Romans 8 makes it very clear there's no condemnation anymore for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, if God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. If God had sent his Son into the world to condemn the world, the reality is we would be condemned, right? I would agree. If, if verse 17, if, if God hadn't come to save us, he'd come to condemn the world, we would be condemned, right? That's the reality. Just, just praise the Lord, we've, we've come to know who Jesus is. Amen? Accepted the reality of what we did on the cross, and now we're saved. Amen? So we need to carry these things, carry these things uh, in our heart. Mark 2, verse 13 to 17 says this. It's my favorite. I know you're not supposed to have favorite bits of the Bible, but and I have lots of favorite bits. They're not really favorite bits anyway. But Mark 2, verse 13 to 17. Once again, Jesus was walk, was, went out beside the lake. A large crowd to him, sorry, a large, large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi. That's Matthew. Matthew kind of had two names, as often happened in, 
in biblical times. So that's, that's talking about Matthew, who wrote the book of Matthew. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. What was it about Jesus that people like Jesus just said, follow me? And like, they just left everything they ever had and just followed him. It was amazing. It? While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors, because he was a tax collector himself, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law and the Pharise- who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? I love Jesus' responses. He always just has incredible responses that just basically just shut everybody up. <laughs> and they're like, oh, I don't really know how, what to say to that. Verse 17, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill or those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. What a response that is. What a response that is. So, so the religious leaders were like, Jesus, why are you hanging around with, the, with these people? And Jesus was like, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. It, it's a sick. You know, in the context of this, the tax collectors in those days, and I don't suppose they're that popular these days. <laughs> but in, the, in those days, tax collectors, it was like the lowest of the lowest thing you could possibly do was to be, was to be a tax collector. And there were lots of different reasons for that. Um, just a little bit of background, because Israel was part of the Roman Empire, as they kind of ruled all of Europe in those, in those days, um, Europe and Israel. And, and, and the, Is- the Romans were very, very oppressive. Um, it was a horrendous empire to kind of be under. It was like ruled with a rod of iron. The soldiers were just, just did whatever they liked. That was just a reality. And so these are people, so, so Matthew or Levi, he would have been collecting taxes on behalf of Rome. So as well as a tax collector like being at the lowest of the low, they kind of, the Israelites kind of felt they shouldn't really be paying tax anyway. That's, that's, that's not right. Then you doubly on top, of, and they often ripped people off. And you see about that in the story of Zacchaeus, where Zacchaeus promises to pay back four times what he's stolen. So this was often, a, it was clearly a common problem. The tax collectors wouldn't just collect what was due, they'd also rip people off. And there's nothing you could do about it because a soldier would come around and beat you to a pulp if you didn't pay it. So that's just the reality of how things worked. So tax players were absolutely hated. And then, so, so you kind of had that part of it. They'd rip, they'd rip people off. But the second part of it, they were seen as total traitors because they worked for Rome. They worked for the Roman Empire. They, they, weren't, they weren't real Jews. And, and, and you know, so, so they, they were seen as the absolute lowest of the low tax collectors. Like they, weren't, they weren't real Jews because they were total traitors. And, and they, also ripped, they also ripped people off and enforcing the whole kind of Roman Empire and that whole kind of system. So this is the context in which we need to understand this. So, so Jesus was asked, or his disciples were asked, why is he hanging around with tax collectors and sinners? And sinners could have meant anything in, in other contexts and other passages here, but Jesus was criticized for hanging around with prostitutes and all kind of other people who, again, that was seen like the lowest of the low and amongst society. But Jesus makes that incredible statement about it's not the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick. What a statement that is. You know, the reality is our world is very sick, and we haven't agreed. Our world is sick. And when I mean sick, I don't mean sick as, like, oh, that's just so sick. Okay. <laughs> Although we can respond in that way, can't we? And we have to be so, and I'm, I'm serious, we have to be so careful that we don't respond in that way. Because the world does a lot of sick things. Things where you kind of think, man, I, this, is not, this is really not good. But you have to come back to the point of, of Jesus. But it's, the, it's not the healthy that need a doctor. It's the sick. Our world is sick, absolutely. But it desperately needs a spiritual doctor. The world is just doing what the world does. Right? And if we, if we were, if we, we are in the world, we're not of the world, but if we were still kind of like part of the dominion of darkness and not being in the kingdom of light, we'd probably all be doing the same things ourselves, right? Right? That's the reality. 
So our world is sick. You know, a church is, church, and this is true of all churches, church should be a spiritual hospital. This is kind of our view as pastors, you know, where people find hope and healing. In, in this sick world, it's just so confusing. It's so, it's so messed up. Everyone's confused about who, who they are and just, just what their purpose in life is. It's just, it's just sick in so many different, uh, different ways. That they can, in church, they can find hope and, and they can find, find healing. Amen? Praise God. Let's move on. The passage where the, the woman, there's so, many, there's so many scriptures you could use for this. I had to kind of pick some, pick some out. But John 8, verses 2 to 11, where's the, where the woman is caught in adultery and brought before Jesus. It says this, At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him. He sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and Pharisees, they brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group, and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. I don't know how they kind of caught her in the act of what they were doing there. <laughs> I don't know. Lots of questions, isn't there? Um, and also, where's the bloke? Where, where's the man in it all? Because there's clearly a man involved. Um, and in the law, the man should have been stoned as well. So, it was, so they, they weren't even applying the law anyway. So anyway, verse 5. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Well, that was true. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So before you start thinking, well, hang on a minute, what about the law? This is all a bit really harsh. Remember, the whole purpose of the law is, 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 is to show what God's standards are, but they're not standards that we could possibly ever meet. Because remember, the whole purpose of the law is to point towards Jesus. So we always have to remember that in context when you read the Old Testament. Don't be confused by it. Kind of think, hang on, is there like two different, like why is God so different in the New Testament than he is in the Old Testament? He hasn't changed his character. Malachi 3 says, I am the Lord, I do not change. You know, God... God hasn't, hasn't changed in who he is. But there's two different covenants at play. Amen? Yeah. Anyway, so in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say, Jesus? They were using this as, as a trap, so they didn't really care about the woman. They didn't even care about his answer. All they really wanted to do is just trap Jesus, which is what they did over and over again, try and do that. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Of course, Jesus has an amazing response, which shuts them all up, as per usual. Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down on the ground. There's lots of different theories about this. I did a whole message on this once um, about what Jesus, was, uh, what Jesus was writing here. Maybe he was writing down different sins. Maybe he's just writing down their actual names. There's a, a scripture in, in, there's a verse in Psalms where it talks about the people who reject Jesus and him writing their names in the dust. I wonder if Jesus was fulfilling that and was writing down their names. I think it's interesting because it says they left from the oldest to the youngest. It wasn't just random how they left. So maybe Jesus was writing down their names. Like, are you, are you going to throw the first stone? Like, Let's get you, Josiah. Let's, are you gonna throw, let me write your name down. Are you going to throw the first stone? What about you, Joel? Are you going to do the next one? What about you, Ruth? Are you going to throw, throw the next stone? I don't know. We're kind of speculating here, but there is a verse in Psalms which kind of alludes to that. But either way, so it says, so verse 8, Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go one at a time. As I said, the older ones first. So it doesn't seem like it's a random order, does it? The older ones first until only Jesus was left. With the woman still standing there, Jesus straightened up and asked the woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said, then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared, and go now and leave your life of sin. So what an incredible response again from Jesus. You know, I've heard this, heard this described, and it really, it really blessed me. It's like this, this two, the two covenants, the two covenants we have in this, this amazing book, what we call the Old Testament and New Testament, the two covenants were at play here. This is basically what was happening here. You had the people who were obsessed with law, and you had Jesus who was kind of like Mr. Grace, bringing in a new era. And it was like the, the law dragged, dragged the woman to the feet of grace. That's what was happening here. 
The law said, no, she must die. She must be stoned. And they kind of dragged her and brought her to the foot of grace. Jesus, well, who's going to condemn you? Not me. And these people aren't going to condemn you. There's only people without sin. And, and the reality is Jesus was the only person who would have had the right to condemn because, of course, Jesus was without sin. That's another kind of wider point you can make from this thing. When it says about who's, who's without sin can throw the first stone, well, Jesus, Jesus would have had the right to condemn her because, obviously, he was sinless. So the two covenants here are in operation. The Lord drags a woman to the foot of grace, the foot of Jesus. And, and you can see here the heart of compassion for Jesus. It's just amazing. The, the heart of compassion that Jesus has to, to, to rescue his woman and rescue her from death. That's reality. That's what happens here. Now, of course, compassion did lead to him also telling her to leave a life of sin. We can't, we can't miss that. Jesus didn't say, well, just keep doing what you're doing. That'll be all right. He didn't, he didn't say that either. Okay? And that goes back to us not having extremes about this stuff. Right? He told her to leave her life of sin. But the compassion he, he showed her was, was just amazing. I kind of think, how would, you know, if you can kind of picture yourself, if we'd been in that crowd, how would we have reacted? If we'd been one of the, the Jews kind of watching this, we'd be like, well, she needs to die. That's what the law says. Would, would, would we have been able to throw the first stone? Well, no, in reality, not, because none of us are sinless. Right? Jesus just has such an incredible heart of compassion. And this should, this should move us in, this, in the same way that... that Move the heart of Jesus. You know, I, I wrote down this, this question myself and Wendy. We were talking about this the other day. If Jesus was on the earth now, this is a big question to ask. If Jesus was on the earth now, I mean, I know he's always with us. He's not like, okay. But if Jesus was physically on the earth now, would we be offended as Christians? Would we be offended by his grace and who he hung around with? I think that's a massive question. I'm serious. Would we? You think about all kind of like the most marginalized people in society who do crazy stuff, have sin, sinful lifestyles, and you can imagine what sort of things I'm talking about. I can't imagine Jesus would be hanging around with them. Would that offend us? Like, hang on a minute, don't you know their lifestyle? Well, of course he knows. Of course he knows. Yeah, we've got to be so careful we don't become like the religious leaders. Jesus like, these are the people that need a doctor. They need a spiritual doctor. They're sick, they're, they're, they're sick in their sin. They're stuck in their sin. They're, their father, father is, is a devil. They don't know what they're doing. They're part of the dominion of darkness. They're, they're, they're blind, to, blind to reality. Amen? Would we be offended by the grace of Jesus if he was on this earth right now? That's a massive question to ask yourself. And I had to ask myself the same question. But you see this with Jesus, his compassion over and over and over again. His compassion and heart and love for people. Mark 6, verse 30 to 34 says this. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. What I love about Jesus is just how he was so willing over and over again just to be inconvenienced for the sake of people. He, he was clearly on his way somewhere. There's other scriptures we could look at where he, he said he went up on a mountainside. He would go and pray and, and talk to his father and commit the day to his father. And said a crowd would basically come and find him. But Jesus didn't like, oh, sorry, go away. I'm praying. That was never Jesus' response, right? Jesus said he would have a heart of compassion towards them. Amen? Jesus was willing to be over and over again to be willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of others. Jesus was a compassionate Shepherd, you know, the, the, the context of a shepherd is used so often um, throughout the Bible about God being a shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd, called Psalm 23, is well known. Of course, David was a shepherd and wrote loads of Psalms himself, had been a shepherd before he became the king. 
And Jesus here, he was a compassionate shepherd. He's like, the people, they, they, they need me. They're, they're, they're sick, they need a spiritual doctor. They're like sheep, they're just wandering. This is where our world is right now, isn't it? They're like sheep without a shepherd. It's like sheep just wandering around. They don't know what, they don't know what they're doing. That's the reality. And yeah, but the true, the true shepherd, it cares for the sheep. Amen? This could be a whole other message in itself, but there's three things that a shepherd does. A shepherd, a shepherd leads... A shepherd, a shepherd leads a sheep, guides a sheep, and protects a sheep. That's three kind of the jobs of a shepherd. You lead it to where you need to go, out to green pastures. You can read all about this in Psalm 23, of course. And, and it guides, even though you go through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, you rod in your staff, they come for me, it stops them going off a cliff, even like the darkest valley. It guides them and also protects them, you know, when the wolf, when the, and um, wolf and as Israel had at the time had bears and lions, because King David talks about those, bears, bears and lions, then they would also protect the sheep. Make sure they don't die. So that's what, what a shepherd does. This is what Jesus does for us. And this is Jesus' heart for those that are marginalized in society. And, and his heart for the lost. They're just like sheep without a shepherd. So next time you watch the news or you see something on YouTube or TikTok or whatever, whatever you're watching, Facebook, whatever, and you kind of think, this is crazy. Why are people doing these crazy things? Remember, they're just like sheep without a shepherd. It's the same old issues over and over and over again. And, and, it hasn't, and maybe lifestyles have got more and more crazy, although... It, to be fair, in Roman times, they were pretty crazy. There's a lot of stuff that we, now we wouldn't allow, that was allowed back then, like child prostitution and stuff. It was, was rife. Slavery was rife. Slavery was everywhere. If you couldn't pay a bill, you, you were made a slave, and that's how it worked. You know what I mean? So things have all, there's always been crazy stuff that's gone on in, in our world, and even in Jesus' time. But Jesus' response, these people, they're just like sheep, but they just need a shepherd in their life. It's like sheep without a shepherd just running around aimlessly. They don't, they don't know what they're doing. This is still a reality 2,000 years later. Matthew 20, verse 30 to 34, says this. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside. When they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. It says, Jesus had compassion on them. He touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. Look at the difference in the response of Jesus versus the crowd. Totally different response. The crowd didn't care about whether they could see or not, whether they could get healed or not. They knew full well that Jesus could heal them. They'd be seeing miracles, <laughs> you know what I mean, like for weeks or months to this stage. But they didn't care about the people. The crowd, the crowd would just tell them to shut up. But Jesus' response was totally and radically different. Amen? Sometimes we have to remember, and I talked about this a lot last week, just how radical Jesus was and, st- and still is. Amen? That people were just amazed by what, by what Jesus did. Because he came to show us a different kingdom. Amen? It's not influenced by our, our, our culture of society or, or our politics or anything else. It goes way, way deeper than that. It's far more important than that. And we have to remember, as the world does what the world does, we're different people. We're people of a different spirit. Is what's said about Joshua and Caleb. Amen? That's, 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 that's who we are. That's our reality. Amen? So the crowd here were just telling them to shut up. I think, how, how would we have been if we'd been in that crowd? Big question to ask yourself. Would we be the people telling them to shut up or would we have had compassion on them? Amen? So you see the love of Jesus, just dem- love and compassion and grace of Jesus is demonstrated. And it's like these, these are people that need, don't, don't tell them to shut up. These are people I love. These are people I'm going to die for. These are people who, who need, to be, need to be healed. They're, they're, they're reaching out in faith to me because they, they, what they want to see. They know, they know I can do a miracle in their life. And they're like, they can be set free. And that's why, they, that's why they're crying out to me. Amen? Luke 10, verse 25 to 29. It says this. 
On an occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Remember, they're always trying to, as I said earlier, they're always trying to test him, trap him. You know, they asked the other, they got a coin, didn't they, and asked him about should we pay taxes to Caesar. That was to try, try and trap him. They're always trying to trap him or test him. So here, here we get another, another occasion again. On an, so on this occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? The man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself, which is actually a really good answer. That's, a, that's like a perfect like, teacher's pet answer, wasn't it, to Jesus? So I was like, well, that's a great answer. Jesus then affirms that. He says, you've answered correctly, verse 28. But do this and you will live. But the man wanted to justify himself. So he knew what scripture said he should do and be like. But he wanted to justify himself. But actually, who is my neighbor? And of course, following straight on from this, Jesus then tells the stories. He always told amazing stories that are very profound. He told the story of the Good Samaritan off the back of this. We don't have time to look at the whole story. And the context of that, of course, is is a a man gets beaten up. A Jew, get, a Jew gets beaten up and the religious leaders kind of walk by and it's a Samaritan guy that ends up rescuing him and has compassion, has compassion on him and, and, and no one cares about him. And, he, and the context of the story is, is, is at the time, Jews and Samaritans, for want of a better word, they literally hated each other, I mean, with a, with a passion. They literally, they literally could not stand each other. Politically, ideologically and culturally, they could not stand each other. And it was like a mutual, I don't think it just went one way, it's just like a mutual feeling. You know, there's one where, where Jesus calls the woman, the woman at the well who is a Samaritan. His disciples are like amazed when Jesus was like, what you, this is a Samaritan woman, Jesus. What are you doing? This goes back in the whole thing. Again, even the disciples are trying to put Jesus in a box. Like, Jesus, don't you know this is a Samaritan? Why, one, why are you talking to a woman? One, and secondly, why are you talking to a Samaritan woman? Like, it just totally blew their minds about how the kingdom of God worked. So this is why Jesus tells his story. And when he says about who, who is my neighbor, and then, of course, he asks the question, so who was the real neighbor to the, to the Jew that gets beaten up? Well, of course, it was a Samaritan, it was a Samaritan man. And so this means loving some people that you may not get along with. And, of course, Jesus talks about this in Matthew 5 about, you know, love, you've heard it said, you can hate your enemies, but I say love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It totally blew people's mind. Over and over again throughout Matthew 5 and 6 in Jesus' great discourse, the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you've heard it said this, this is what, this is what your culture says. This is what Jewish culture says, or the culture of the day. This is what it says, but this is what I say. This is what the kingdom says. This is your political view, or your ideology, or your culture. But Jesus said, no, this is reality. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. It's totally different. It's radically different. It just blew their whole, whole minds. The people kind of listening couldn't understand. They were like, this is new teaching, and, and the religious leaders, it just massively offended them, because so often it was directed at them, and they're, you know, just how steeped in religion they were. So the message from this parable, the Good Samaritan, how does this relate to our lives? Well, firstly, as as believers, we need to understand and always live in this reality of the love, grace, compassion, and mercy that Jesus has shown to us. Men, if we ever take a kind of a holier-than-thou attitude uh, to our world and all the crazy things people in our world do, we've totally missed, I, I I would go so far as to say, we've missed the heart of Christianity. Because without the love, grace, compassion, and mercy of Jesus, well, where would we be, right? We'd be doing the same thing. So we need to understand the love, grace, compassion, and mercy that we've been shown. You maybe you haven't done anything in your world, your life that's too crazy, but the reality is we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, as what Scripture makes clear, right? We've all done things we shouldn't have done, and any of those things would have separated us from God, would have sent us to hell. Is that true? Is that, that's right. Great theology, right? But because of the love and grace and compassion of mercy of Jesus, that we are now saved. 
It's all because of the cross. It's not because of anything we've done. We haven't, we haven't earned it. Ephesians 2 verse 9 and 10 makes it clear. It's a totally free gift. We should never boast about it because we've done nothing. How can you boast about something you haven't done? Right? We don't boast about it. It's a totally free gift. It's by, it's by grace that you've been saved. It's a, it's a gift from God so that no one can boast. It's not of ourselves. Amen? We're God's workmanship. We're created to do good things. We're created by God to do things for Christ, in Christ Jesus. You know, that's, that's, that, Ephesians 2 9 and 10 is what it makes clear. Amen? Praise God. You know, let's, be, let's be people who are, who are soft-hearted. Let's be people who have a heart for the marginalized. You know, in my own life, I, I just, and I think Wendy would agree. I hope she would agree with this. The same I'm going to make. I, I, this has just been how what God has done in me. I've become a lot more soft-hearted over the last, uh, last 20, 20 years or 25 years, 24 years of being married. Um, I've become a lot more soft-hearted. I don't just mean towards Wendy. No, I was always like Mr. Harsh. Okay. But I mean just towards the lost. I've become, I'm, I'm serious. I'm just, I'm just telling you realities here. Okay, just to encourage you. I've become a lot more soft-hearted. And, and I did used to be much more of the other extreme when I was a younger Christian, uh, a teenager, much more of the you know, judgment, 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 judgment. Why are they doing what they're doing? Don't they know this is going to send them to hell? And kind of going down that, that angle. And of course, that's true. They will be going to hell unless they change. That's true. Okay, I'm not denying truth here, obviously. But that was kind of like where I was kind of, kind of at. And, and God has made me a lot more soft-hearted. Um, I hope, he's known me a long time. It's made me a lot more soft-hearted over the years. And I believe as Christians, we should all be soft-hearted. Amen? We have a, that we have a heart of love and compassion for the lost. Praise God. Matthew 25, verse 34 to 40 says this. And it's talking about the end times here. And the final judgment. So we... we can't ignore about judgment when we got the right balance view of Jesus because it does talk about judgment here. But there's some stuff I also want to say that off the back of that that Jesus then says next. So, verse 34, Matthew 25. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in, I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was ill and you looked after me, I was in prison, you came to visit me. So then the rights will answer him because they're basically like, well, I don't remember doing any of those things <laughs> for you, Jesus. Verse 37, and the rights will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Another incredible statement from Jesus. So this is just Jesus' heart for people. People who are hungry, need feeding, thirsty, people, people in prison, people who need, people who need clothes. This is just Jesus' heart for the lost, have a heart of compassion. Now, I said to Andy that I would do this earlier, but I, just, I want to relate this just, just, for, just for a minute or so, just relate this to the crossings. Because in the crossings, and I get to know a lot about you know, what's, what's going on. I hear lots of different examples about what the crossings is doing and who it's helping and it's all about helping the marginalized. And those in society, sometimes through their own bad choices, yes, that can happen. But often not anything to do with their own bad choices. They've just had a hard time with all sorts of reasons. It could be mental health issues, you know, relationship breakdowns, all that, you know, just financial issues, all sorts of stuff. And sometimes their own bad choices. But either way, we should still have a heart for the lost. Amen? It's not going to judge, judge and blame people's bad choices. Remember, the world just does what the world does. They're like sheep without a shepherd. We have to remember that. They just need the shepherd. Amen? They need Jesus. Amen. So I'd really encourage you. I'd really encourage you. And I didn't say I haven't done this whole entire message just about the crossings again, okay? but I did want to connect it, connect it with that. And I'd encourage you to get involved. 
And if you can pray, we will definitely, I'd say if you can pray, of course you can pray. <laughs> Make some time to pray. Okay, and if, if you can give, give, and if you can get involved, get involved, whatever that looks like, and speak to Anthony afterwards. I really encourage you, encourage you to do that. Because it's all about showing the love of Jesus to people. Now, is every person we reach out to going to get saved? Well, may, maybe they won't. You know, everyone Jesus, not everyone Jesus reached out to got saved. I mean, of course, it's not God's will that any should perish. Scripture makes it very clear. It's, it's not his will that any should perish, but that all should have eternal life. So everyone we reach out to, will they get saved? Well, we don't know how they respond. That's entirely up to them and kind of between them, them and God. But it's, it's the right principle, amen, to reach out, to show, show the love of Jesus. This is what the love of Jesus looks like. Let's make it relevant to our, our world 2,000 years later. We're talking a lot about how our view of Jesus and, and the world's view of Jesus. Let's make it relevant to them. You know, in my interactions with non-Christians, this is the, the biggest... Uh, the biggest barrier, and I think particularly in this area, maybe I don't say it's unique to this area, but the biggest barrier in this area, we don't have a lot of other religions, you know, just because of our ethnic makeup of this area. There's, there's hardly any other religions at all, is there? Um, obviously, Southampton's very different. But where most people are at, it's just basically, well, this guy who died 2,000 years ago, maybe, maybe that did happen, maybe it didn't, but how in any way is that relevant to my life? This is basically where I would say pretty much 99% of our, the people in the Wartside, this is where they're at. This has no relevance to my life whatsoever if you want to do it great but there's no relevance to my life whatsoever let's make it relevant let's, let's show them the love of jesus why why this matters amen let's show that practically the love of jesus and if you can get involved in the crossings uh, do that but let's be a good let's be a good neighbor as jesus talked about be a good neighbor in our everyday lives and i don't just mean the person living next door to you let's remember jesus was, was explaining what that meant it can mean even people that you don't get along with and live a crazy lifestyle and people you uh, not not hate so we're not going to hate anybody but you know what I mean? People who are very, very different to you or have very different ideology or very different politics or whatever it may be. Let's, let's be a good neighbor to them. Amen? Reflecting the love, compassion, and mercy and grace of Jesus that we've, that we've been blessed to have been shown. Amen? And accept that reality. If you can meet other people's physical needs, let's, let's do that. The Wallside Food Bank is also brilliant. I've mentioned that before. That's, that's fantastic. If you can give towards that, do that. And let's meet people's physical needs. It's important. Jesus talked about it here. But ultimately... As a church and as, as believers, we want to be meeting people's spiritual needs. Amen? The sick need a doctor. This world is sick. And that's kind of like God's, God's diagnosis, as it were, for the, for the world is. It's sick, but it, but it needs a doctor. The prescription, is, the prescription is, is not medicine. The prescription is actually the doctor himself. Does that make sense? <laughs> the, the doctor's prescription is the doctor. Right? What our world needs is a doctor himself, not some medicine that needs, needs Jesus and needs a shepherd. Amen. And let's remember that everything we do for others, as Jesus talked about here, when we do things for others, that we're actually doing it for Jesus and his glory anyway. Jesus said, whatever you did for the one of least of these, you did, you did for me. Everything that Andy does for the crossings or, or and why I'm involved with the crossings or whatever you do, you're doing for God. Remember, you're actually doing it for Jesus anyway. Let's always, let's always remember that. Whatever you do for the least of these, you do for Jesus. Amen. So let's have a heart of love and compassion and mercy and grace because that reflects who jesus is let's never be offended by his grace amen aren't you glad that god saved you and if i can i'm not going to do this because it would be embarrassing but we could we could we could we could do a straw poll and we could go around and we could list all we could go around each person can we could all stick one thing on a screen and say well this is the one thing i wish i'd never done and not that i'm sure there'd be more than one but you can think of the worst thing you've ever done we could come up with a massive list couldn't we we're not gonna do that don't worry don't <laughs> freak out disappear okay that's next week if you want to come back that's next week but we could couldn't we we generally could we could have a whole we could have a whole long list and we could have like i don't know 30 40 50 sins up there Things that separated us from God. Things, the worst things we've ever done. 
but, but this is what his love, grace, mercy, and compassion has set us free from. Amen? So let's remember that in our interactions with the world. They're like a sheep without a shepherd. They're sick. Uh, they need a doctor. Let's, 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 let's be carriers of the doctor, carriers of the shepherd uh, to Jesus. And let's show his love, grace, mercy, and compassion in every area of his life. Every area of our lives. Let's never be offended by his grace either. Jesus has a massive heart for the marginalized. Even people that are doing crazy things. And we know this reality. The world is so messed up. You know, watch the news for five minutes or people that you just know or work with or whoever, neighbors or whoever it may be. The world is so messed up. People are so confused. And I talked about this last week. Um, just, just, just to close here. Because uh, it's a great place to close. When Jesus, is, amongst his amazing statements that he made <laughs> consistently about he was the way, the truth, and the life. You know, and that's the reality of where this world is and, and, and 2,000 years later, that statement that Jesus made is just as relevant as it was then. You know, we live in a world where it's totally lost its way. It's totally confused. Our politics is all over the place. It's totally lost its way. People are scared about pretty much everything. You know, whether it's climate change, COVID, economic situation, something they'll be scared of. I'm not saying none of these things are real. What I'm saying is but there's just so much anxiety and fear, isn't it? So it's completely lost their way. And then Jesus said it was a truth where we live in a my truth world, don't we? Everyone wants their version of the truth. This is, this, is, this is my truth. And I said this last week. I said, well, if you've got 8 billion people with, with their own version of truth, that's really got us anyway, has it? Other than make us very confused. <laughs> All we've got now is 8 billion versions of truth. But Jesus said, Jesus said it wasn't his truth. He's not a truth. He's the truth. Amen? In this world that's rejecting absolute truth and absolute morality, Jesus said, I am the truth. And, in this, and Jesus then said he was a life. And this, this world is desperate to find life. And they'll look, they'll look here, there, and everywhere, and sex and drugs and rock and roll and everything else in between to try and find life. But they can only find it in Jesus. Let's be carriers of that. Because we know that's what Jesus has done in our lives. He's been the way in our lives and shown us the way. He's been the, the truth in our lives and, been, and, and brought us life and life more abundantly, as John 10, 10 says. And let's go and reach others with a heart of love, compassion, grace, and mercy. Amen. Let's stand, stand to our feet. Praise you, God. I just want to pray for you all first. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, for those that, Lord, that know you this morning, Lord, we just say thank you. Lord, we thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy, and compassion. Lord, I thank you that you recognize, Lord, we were like a, we were like a sheep without a shepherd. Lord, you said you would leave that 99 to, to, to go and get that one sheep, and I thank you you did that for us. Lord, you rescued us. Lord, we didn't know what we were doing. We needed, we needed guiding and leading and protecting. Lord, you rescued us. Lord, we, we thank you for the cross, Lord, for what you've won for us. Thank you for showing us the way and the truth and the life, for being the way in our lives, Lord, for being the truth in our lives, Lord, for bringing us life and life more abundantly, Lord God. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for forgiving us, Lord God. Thank you you responded with grace. Lord, you didn't, like the woman caught in adultery, you didn't condemn us. Lord, but you forgave us. We thank you for that reality. Thank you for the promise of eternal life. Lord, and I pray, Lord, that, that we would just be carriers, carriers of that in our everyday world. And all those people that we come interaction with, and there could be people who are totally different to us and radically different in what they think about life all the lifestyles that they live in. Lord, but I pray, Lord, like you, Lord, we recognize that they're sick and they need a doctor. Lord, they're like sheep, they need a shepherd. Oh, God. And I pray you help us to be carriers of that. Lord, we respond with love and grace 
and mercy and compassion. If we can practically help them, Lord, then we'll practically help them. Lord, but ultimately, we want to see their spiritual needs met. Lord, when you are the answer and always will be the answer. And I pray, Lord, we would just carry that answer around in our hearts. And I pray we will have the correct view of who you are, Lord God, in every area of our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. I just want to pray a second prayer and just give anyone an opportunity who doesn't yet know God that you can invite God into your life. This morning I've spoken a lot about the love and grace and mercy and compassion. You know, and that, that's Jesus' heart towards you. You know, the Bible says that, that Jesus paid a massive price. In fact, his very life he couldn't have given a bigger price. And, and that was to redeem you, which means to, which means to buy you back. And, and, and he did that so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be set free, so that you could, you could be on your way to heaven, so the barrier between you and, and God could be removed forever in your life you can have free access access to god and you can and can pray and he can communicate with you and you can have a relationship with him and jesus paid a massive price because of his love compassion mercy and grace for you and whatever you've and i said use that analogy of we could list all our sins on the screen and maybe things you've kind of done in your life and you kind of think well how could god ever forgive that you know but his blood covers every sin he can wash you and make you new and doesn't matter what you've done, then Jesus wants to accept you this morning. All you have to do is accept that reality. And say, Jesus, I want you in my life. And if that's you this morning, or maybe, you, maybe you've never prayed a prayer like that before, or you've just gone off track, and you just need to do some business with God this morning, or maybe you've gone off into a sinful lifestyle, or some habits or things in your life, you just, no one's condemning you. Remember, there's a big difference in conviction and, and condemning. Maybe the Holy Spirit's convicting you. No one's being condemned here this morning. But the Holy Spirit is convicting you and you just need to get some things right with God, then I'd encourage you to do that and pray this prayer as well. Just get things back on track with God. This is just between you and him. It doesn't matter what the person next to you is thinking or doing. This is between you and your creator. Let's all just pray this together. Thank you, Jesus, for your love and grace, your mercy and compassion towards me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me, for taking all my sin, forgiving yourself, so that I could be free, so that I could be made whole. I ask you now to forgive me and to make me new. I want to be in relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Was, eyes are still closed. If you prayed that prayer with you, never ever prayed a prayer like that before, or you're getting some things just right with God this morning, just getting things back on track with God this morning, what I'd love you to do is just to raise your hand and say, yeah, I prayed that prayer, because we'd love just to chat with you and, and pray with you after. Is there anyone this morning? Don't miss your opportunity. Thank you, God. Lord, you're an amazing, amazing God. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, give us a right perspective of who you are. Lord, as we read, as we read Scripture, Lord, I pray it will just come to life. Lord, give us revelation just like, just like Peter himself. Lord, when he, when he said, you are the Christ, the Son of a living God, you said that wasn't just something he'd come up with. That was revelation from the Father. And I pray as we read, as we read the Gospels and read about you throughout Scripture, Lord God, you'll give us rev- revelation, new revelation, fresh, fresh revelation, deeper revelation of, of who you are, Lord God. So we just go deeper in our relationship with you. Thank you, Lord God. You're so good. Amen. Amen.